Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to the Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery, and this week we have a Jeremy Corbyn special. So if you are already bored of Labour politics, turn off now. But three people who are most certainly not bored, but energised in different ways, are three of my fellow columnists, Phil Collins, Oliver Cam, and Libby Purvis. And here are the topics we'll be discussing. Let's skip the bit where commentators ingeniously invent reasons why Corbyn might turn out to be Clement Attlee. No, this is a man of no interesting ideas and no experience of running a political operation. He has started as he is condemned to go on, in chaos. The task of the sensible Labour Party is to renew intellectually and to engage the new members who will rapidly have buyer's remorse. In the 48 hours following Corbyn's election, I dramatically changed my own opinion and came very much closer to the view of my esteemed colleague Phil Collins. For a long time during the leadership election campaign, I argued that there was an ethical obligation on Labour MPs to withdraw cooperation from the whips and declare themselves opposed to a leader who is out of step with the party's traditions and who does not stand for progressive values. Yet it it hadn't occurred to me and I hadn't reckoned on the scale of the sheer incompetence of Corbyn and his allies on being elected. You can hold on as leader even in the face of, of bad polls, but it's much more difficult to do so if you become a public joke. And that's where we're heading. Labour MPs may face a much shorter period of torment than I had anticipated and should wait their chance, but the chance must be acted on when it comes. I can only speak for those who find the whole thing rather exhilarating, a proper democratic earth tremor, though not a quake. Half a million people, lots of them new to politics, expressed a weariness with polystyrene politics and spin and caution and uniformity and an insincere machine consensus. It is the unblair moment, and I think the party needed it, and possibly the country does too. I think Corbyn has some pretty dodgy views, and I doubt that he will ever drag the whole lumpened electorate along with him or hold any power. But for the Tories to be running around squealing as if he was Voldemort, this man is a threat to your family, is just completely ludicrous. Well, in terms of squealing, um, uh, Phil Collins has an accessory with us in the studio today, don't you, Phil? His little noise-making machine. I have a little sound machine, which I think should stand in the way of political commentary, because in this time, I really can't find anything to say other than this. (laughs) (laughs) I think that summarises my view 
perfectly and really I've got nothing to add. <laughs> so we will stop there then but we'll probably merge some of these topics that you've each uh, chosen today but let me start with this first question to you Phil. You're clearly appalled. I don't know how shocked you are by by what has happened but what's your explanation for why 59% of the Labour Party a clear plurality of existing members as well as those new sign-ups have actually voted for a man that all, nearly all of us in the Westminster village thought was unelectable two, three months ago. Not just unelectable in the country, but unelectable as Labour leader. What, what, what has happened? Well, I think there are two things. I mean, first, first, I should say, at 60%, that is a very clear mandate. And you know, I think ideas of toppling him really quickly are, are very foolish because you've got to take the members with you. But I think two things happen to explain it. Firstly, there is a, a lot of new members. Two-thirds of the people who voted for uh, in this uh, leadership election were not members of the Labour Party in May of this year. Mm. So it's essentially a new party. In addition to that... During but, but the people who did, who were already Labour members, they voted, I think it's something like 48 49% in the first round yes, as well. That, so that, that's you true. can't just say the mm. Labour Party's been infiltrated. N- no, I'm not, I, I wouldn't use the yeah. word infiltrated. I think yeah. they're all perfectly legitimate sign-ups under the rules. So yeah. I'm, I'm not complaining about it as such. But I think in addition to that, if you go back between 2010 and 2015, the Labour Party is 90% different. So people who left the Labour Party under Mm. Ed Miliband tended to be on the right of the party, and those who joined under Ed Miliband tended to be on the softer Mm. left. So from 2010 to now, it really is a very different party. In addition to that, there are those members of long duration, and there's plenty of them, as you implied, who see in Jeremy Corbyn the chance to be a bit more like themselves Mm. and they have decided some of them decided that they weren't inspired by any of the other three and so why not go for something which which looks and feels like how I am Mm. and quite a lot of them more than you might think have said to me that they know Jeremy Corbyn can't possibly win an election but they want to shift the argument to the left within the Labour Party so that in due course in a couple of years time somebody else will come forward and take it and Duke, uh, Zoe Williams of The Guardian keeps making this position as well, it's like as a different kind of opposition. Do you have some sympathy for that argument? Because, you know, you confronted her, I think, on Newsnight last week, and you were saying, but this guy cannot win. But And she was saying, well, I thought with in an interesting way, but that isn't the only thing that opposition should be about. Well, Zoe has subsequently written the column where she, where she says very candidly she doesn't care whether he wins or not, and I think that's frivolous not to care. I will go with a some of the way, which is to say that the Labour movement in its origins was a cultural movement and an extra-parliamentary movement and an intellectual movement. Mm. But the Labour Party was the parliamentary wing of that movement. Mm-hmm. Its original purpose was to send working men, as it was, to Parliament. And that remains the idea. Now, that doesn't mean to say, I think... I think it's still working men looking at well, the top it, of the, uh, I'm the afraid, Crosby I, I, Labour Party. But well, also, it is a little bit. But mm. that's not to say that, therefore, power for no purpose is ever what anybody would advocate. And I certainly don't think I was ever part of a government that had that kind of um, empty prospectus. Mm. But to say that you don't care about power seems to me frivolous, because the upshot of that if you think a Labour government matters, is that you are essentially yielding the space to the Conservative Party. Uh, Oliver, can I ask you the same, more or less the same question I asked Phil? You are someone who perhaps has been even more strident in some, some respects than Phil in opposing the idea of Corbyn becoming, Jeremy Corbyn becoming Labour leader. W- what's your explanation for why so many of your uh, fellow travellers on the left have, um, have voted for 
for him? I wouldn't say I've been strident. I'd say I've been calm, analytical and measured. <laughs> but we come to the same conclusion. Uh, Phil, Phil's explanation, Phil is much closer to, to party politics than uh, to, to British party politics than I am, and, and his explanation rings very true. The point on which I differ from his analysis is, Phil rightly points to the scale of the vote on the first round in favour of Corbyn, which, as you rightly say, covered all categories of member, including the derisory number of, of trade unionists, in effect, mm -hmm. derisory number. I don't think, however, it is as foolish as Phil suggests for the parliamentary party, for the same wing of the parliamentary party, which is about nine out of ten of every Labour MPs, to plan on dissociating themselves and toppling, uh, toppling a leader who is clearly um, way outside the traditions of the Labour Party. Where I've changed my position in the time since Corbyn became leader is I think the luxury of time is slightly greater than I had expected. If I were a Labour MP, which, let us face it, is never going to happen, but if I were... Certainly not under this regime. Uh, it seems, <laughs> seems inconceivable. You're probably the least likely in this room. Of <laughs> oh, that's cutting. Uh, if I were I think a it's more cutting towards me, but maybe... Uh... <laughs> if I were a Labour MP... I would not, unlike some perfectly decent, um, uh, intelligent, uh, hard-working MPs, Jonathan Ashworth is a case in point, I would not, even if I were offered one, take a, a front-bench role because I think there's a moral issue at stake. A leader who stands for policies that are way outside Labour's traditions and values and history is not someone that you can give which, even... Which, which are the policies that most yes, upset you? Give, give us two or three... Examples of what are the policies that you think most alien to the Labour tradition? Uh, collective security. Uh, the NATO alliance was, to a large extent, the creation of the post-war Labour government. Um, all uh, throughout its, its post-war history, even under Michael Foote, the Labour Party But you, you have committed. the new deputy leader, Tom Watson, um, uh, absolutely <coughs> committed to NATO. Shouldn't you, people like you be in there fighting to ensure that that belief in collective security is retained rather than walking away from from being associated. It's a, it's a tight call, and I don't criticise those people who've made that decision. Yet it's so fundamental to Labour's history. I mean, mm. a Labour Foreign Secretary, the greatest Labour Foreign Secretary there's been, probably the greatest Foreign Secretary in the 20th century, largely created mm. NATO. Corbyn wants out. More widely, the values of pluralism, secularism, women's rights, gay mm. rights that are the primary reason, uh, in my view, for welcoming Labour governments, that Britain has been generally... Why is Jeremy Corbyn suspicious on gay rights? Um, because of his embrace of uh, Islamists, because of his embrace of uh, Hamas, Hezbollah, as, as, as his friends. The same sort of thing we saw with Ken Livingstone when yes, he was in exactly, London. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, it, it is a betrayal of the left's traditions of pluralism, progressivism, uh, uh, secularism and women's rights. These are fundamental these are not so, details. So, Libby, you've got, you're sat in the middle here. We should have t we'll take a picture and we'll put it on the blog. But <laughs> what's your message to these two poor, unhappy Labourites? Well, I, I think Lefties, that, I should say, rather. I, I think don't Phil's, upset Oliver, think, put him in the Labour camp. I think Phil's, Phil's uh, analysis of the, the history of the Labour Party and, and the, the, the wider uh, left <coughs> movement is absolutely spot on. And I also I do agree with Oliver about, the, about NATO and the foreign policy and 
so on, though it has to be said that people who have cosied up to unpleasant people in foreign regimes, once they do get anywhere near power even or shadow power, do tend to fade off in those directions. But I was fascinated by the this kind of sense of revulsion, like a horse sneezing at bad hay, you know, he is the un-Blair. He is the opposite. I think Blair wounded the Labour Party in a lot of ways, even while bringing it into power, with the schmoozing of the rich, with the contempt for his elected ministers, in that he had the unelected hired gun, Alistair Campbell, allowed to bollock mm. MPs and, and, and ministers, you know, as uh, because discipline was everything. And here we have this maverick who's voted 500 times against his own party whips. And I just think there was a sort of attraction about that, and that is one of the reasons that there was a, a sort of a, a swing in his direction. But, I mean, I don't really disagree with either of the others, and I think um, I'm fascinated by what's happening now. I think some of his shadow cabinet choices have been bizarre. I mean, a vegan anti, anti-farming anti person as agriculture secretary is not a terribly bright idea. Um, this McDonald's um, economic ideas John seem McDonald, to be... The rather, rather chance, to, they appear to be rather to the left of Jeremy Corbyn's. So mm. I'm not quite Maybe that's sure the what's whole going idea. on here. Appointing him makes Jeremy Corbyn um, look like a moderate. Let me no, challenge... No, I think, but, I do, I, I, but one of my main things is that I really think that the Tory party and the right are behaving ridiculously with this sort of, oh gosh, it's Voldemort, it's Stalin, this is the end of days. You know, we've got four years and eight months till the next election. He may not be there then. I, I think the right should calm down and be quietly amused and interested rather than horrified and frightened as they seem to be behaving. Oh, well, I think the right see this as an opportunity. They know they can defeat Jeremy Corbyn. The reason they are so excited is they want to taint the whole Labour Party with why? the brush of having elected this person. Why? And put up big banners and posters and David Cameron saying, this man is a threat to your family. You know, he's going to creep down your chimney like a kind of anti-Santa and steal everything. <laughs> yes. it, I, it, I do agree, I there's a risk it. of that. Um, that. That did but seem over the top. Yeah, it did seem very, really... Can, can I, I want to ask you about that point that Libby started with, though, yeah. um, Phil, because you, you, one of your frustrations <laughs> is that the Labour Party is obsessed with Tony Blair and um, can't get over... Um, its difficult relationship with its three times winning mm. um, leader. And you know, I was reading Len McCluskey article in The Guardian on Monday. And Tim, Tim. You'll, <laughs> ne- you'll never get that time back. <laughs> but, his att- but he wasn't attacking Cameron or Thatcher. He was attacking Blair. Yes. There is this sort of obsession with, with Blair. And uh, is the Labour Party making this wrong turn, which I, I would certainly argue that it has, more because of its opposition to Blairism than its opposition to conservatism. Yes, absolutely. I think Libby's completely right about the psychology of defeat. The, Christopher Hitchens once said of Winston Churchill that he always wore the medals of his defeats, and that's what the Labour Party likes to mm. do. It cannot come to terms with its own victories. It doesn't particularly like victory because it thinks it's a compromise too far. So there is definitely that feeling within the Labour Party at the moment that it wants to define itself against its most successful and it always It always is leader. a compromise too far, isn't it? I mean, the moment anybody... This is what I'm saying about what would slide if Corbyn ever got anywhere near power. People slide towards pragmatism. Of sort course of, oh, they God, do. that won't work. Absolutely talk to they them. will. Yeah. And that is, that is exactly what will happen to Corbyn. And it's happening already. You see him just from the way he's dressed... Already. Yes. Yeah. Look at how different yeah, actually, he is. It looks in two days. Proper dark suit. I find good, it upsetting. I like the shorts. You see, that's why the, this, <laughs> the notion that he's going to be unspun and uncrafted and authentic, of course, is bound to gradually disappear mm. as you enter into politics. Jeremy Corbyn has never been in politics in his life. He's been in protest, and now he's gone from the sort of 
the childish things of protest to the adolescent version of opposition politics. Whether he can ever grow up into office is well, very unlikely. You seem unlikely. to be moving in the opposite direction to Oliver, because Oliver seems, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Oliver, increasingly confident, having seen the first 48 hours, that this project's doomed to failure perhaps more quickly than he thought, whereas you seem to think he might be able to take no, decisions... Sorry, sorry, please let me correct that impression. I, I absolutely regard him as an interim leader, and I think that the first few days of his uh, time in office have demonstrated that what will get him will not be the politics, it'll be the incompetence. Yes. It'll be the fact that he's never run anything, he doesn't know what he's doing. The appointment of John McDonnell, which, as you implied before, actually is exactly about factions within the left. It mm -hmm. really is the first people's front of Judea moment. That has dismayed people across the Labour Party, not, and also including some of his supporters. But Ed, Ed Conway's piece in the Times today is fascinating, sort of suggesting that maybe it's not as extreme as it looks. Oliver, I've, I must let you reply to my description of your position. Yes, I, I entirely agree with Phil that Corbyn is an interim leader. I wouldn't say I'm optimistic, but I'm more hopeful than I was, even on Friday before, before Corbyn was elected, that the interregnum will be brief very painful but brief indeed the more pain there is at this stage the more encouraging it will be because you can't survive public derision and this is where Corbyn is taking the Labour Party I've met Corbyn once or twice I've debated with him once he is in person as everyone says uh, who meets him absolutely charming he relies on the fact that he is personally charming. I, I, this sounds patronising, it isn't meant to. He relies on the fact that he's personally charming to get him through. But that's not going to work. He didn't in, want to be interviewed by you, though, did he? That he, is right. He, he, he pulled that, out of an interview uh, after he knew that you... Or did Andrew Marr? That, 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 <laughs> is, right. that is right. He's, 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 he's hopeless uh, at interviews. His uh, campaign approached the Jewish Chronicle to offer an interview. Uh, the Jewish Chronicle asked me to do it, and uh, Corbyn then pulled out. He does not like being cross-examined. Again and again during his campaign, he ran from interviews, he was evasive. When pressed, he loses his temper. He's just not up to it. He doesn't know very much. He is even supposing he were just a front bench uh, spokesman. The Tories would know he would be mm. Labour's weakest link and would no, home not, in uh, Come on, he's not Labour's weakest link. John McDonald is Labour's weakest <laughs> link. But that, there's a lot of competition for that prize, I take your point. That's true. I, I, think, I think Oliver's right, but I, I, I always um, I, I am always slightly suspicious of the idea that being good at interviews, good at media, good at John Humphreys, you know, good with Andrew Marr no, is somehow a mark anything. of, a mark of being good... Uh, a good politician. I, I, I rather cheered when he didn't go on Andrew Moore. I thought, ha, 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 there's my boy. Um, which is absurd, but I think... I, I, why, why would you cheer that? Is it, Andrew Moore isn't asking... To watch him. Andrew Moore isn't asking questions for himself. He's asking questions for every voter. That's, he that's, is our representative to understand whether the positions of the opposition party that wants to be government... That's because we're media people. I think it would be quite reasonable I if any because leader we're of a party were to say, look, give me a week. I got to think things through, you know. I, I think this knee-jerk thing of if you don't go on Andrew Marr, well, that's it. You're a busted yeah, flash. I, mean, I, I think I, that's I, absurd. I, I don't think that. I do think there are problems with the relationship between politics and and journalism. I, I do think there are, and I think some of the critique is not not ridiculous at all. However, you can't deal with that by simply refusing to go on because you are losing the opportunity <laughs> to put your case. Mm -hmm. And over time, he's going to have to. 
Can I just say something about the political strategy of the Corbyn people? Because I do think this is quite interesting. Mm -hmm. They are not, it goes right back to our point about victory and defeat in the Labour Party. They are not interested, really, in winning over people who voted Conservative in 2015. That's not where they think they can win. What they're saying is that they will inflate turnout, they will enthuse people who don't vote, mm -hmm. and that therefore they'll be able to find this latent body of left-wingers in Britain. It's not that Britain's shifted to the left, it's, it's always been left-wing, mm -hmm. and they're going to find it. So what they're saying to us is that they will take turnout from 60% up to 75%. All of that extra bunch of people will vote Labour. Mm -hmm. There'll be nobody inspired to vote to stop Corbyn, and... Also, in the effort of getting those people, it won't have any impact on the other side of your coalition. Mm. So what they're saying is with massive turnout, and it's, there's no precedent anywhere ever for anybody achieving that. And just give one fact which shows you what a catastrophe that is. Of the 100 seats with the lowest turnout in the country, 91 of them are already held by the Labour Party. Mm -hmm. This is a recipe, even if it works perfectly, for super majorities and no seats. I think, I think <laughs> and, you, and you wrote about this in Monday's yeah. Times yeah. a little bit, didn't you? This, and and I, I should say for yeah. all Times subscribers, if you go to thetimes.co.uk slash Common Central, you can read some of the pieces we've been discussing, mm -hmm. including Libby's and Oliver's pieces as well. I, Libby, I, you want to say something? Yeah, I was just saying, I think, I think Phil is, is bang on there, and I think that some of the uh, overexcited Corbynistas are probably thinking that things like the Occupy protesters, the anti-globalisation protesters, the, the Russell Brand loonies are all kind of solid and are going to be a fabulous new electorate for mm. them. But I, I think Phil's analysis is absolutely spot on. And also I think quite a lot of those will drop and fall away. Um, I think there's a big <coughs> reservoir of really and justifiably disaffected young at the moment who have been hit hard by the mm. recession. Uh, but I think things kind of move on and roll on and I, I don't really think that's going to come out for them. Can, can I ask you a question, Oliver? The, there are some positions anti-war positions, worried about chief executive pay, taxing the rich, nationalisation of the railways, that at least superficially, according to opinion polls, look quite popular. Are we right to rule out that there won't actually be, once he starts talking about policies, perhaps presenting ideas to the media, maybe he's waiting for Labour's conference in Brighton in a, in a couple of weeks to do this, maybe we're getting everything in place. Is it beyond the realms of possibility that actually you might have a bit of a, even if only temporary, opinion poll boost? It's certainly not beyond the bounds of possibility that he might see some superficial soft support in the opinion polls for a little while. It is, after all, what happened with Michael Foote, albeit a much weightier and, 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 and more serious politician, mm. still a disastrous Labour leader. The problem that Labour will find is that the policies you refer to, which I, I would describe more as emotional spasms rather than uh, a coherent programme, are populist rather than left-wing. Mm -hmm. It's perfectly possible to construct an economically literate left-wing programme with uh, a, a concern to address issues like intergenerational equity, the fact we have mm -hmm. a dysfunctional housing market, things that, 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 that really are a serious critique of, uh, of, of modern capitalism. But that's not what Corbyn does. That's not what the Labour Party is now espousing. It's a series of populist expedients, many of which 
to go back to Libby's point, make no economic sense whatsoever. The business of people's quantitative easing, as the phrase has been picked up, which is, uh, there's no mystique about it, it's forcing the Bank of England to underwrite deficit financing for any purpose determined by the Corbyn mm. government. That is bound to be inflationary and to cut real wages. This is a disastrous programme. OK, let, let's move on. We've, I think we've m- more or less taken... Phil and Oliver's topics together. I just want to end, really, by just examining yours, Libby. You wrote in Monday's newspaper and said, you know, a lot of people tired of the old kind of politics will welcome this. Uh, but, yes, but weren't you a little bit guilty of style over substance? Just this this, this hunger for authenticity that seems to characterise politics mm. so much amongst some people. Actually, it seems, does actually ignore what is f- the fundamental flaws of the kind Oliver's just described as an economic Abs- policy. Absolutely. Isn't, aren't, aren't you guilty or d- of defending trivia? Not really. I think I think I what I was doing was reading a certain feeling and saying, look, there is this certain feeling. And really, a great part of that was that the right is getting it totally wrong in its, its sort of hysterical, terrified Stalin is back sort of response to this, because actually what this could be. Um, and I think this is a point we really ought to cover on this podcast, all of us, is that it is an absolute open goal and brilliant opportunity for the present ruling party, the Conservative Party, to step up its act and deal with some of these real problems we've got, the housing market, and sort of say, no, we are not going to allow London to be pimped out to every foreigner who wants to hide some dirty money mm. and leave some flats empty. We're not going to allow that. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to deal with this. We're going to deal with that. And actually to to step in and do the things which would appeal to this disaffected, mm-hmm. young, as it were, currently left um, group People of voters. People with flatlining you know, in, Instead wages. of which, we're just getting a, an oh, the terror, oh, the terror. I was talking to a, a young person yesterday, you know, who's only sort of just just 30, and who was kind of panicked, sort, sort of saying, oh, this, this is terrible, you know, this is awful, it's going to sort of ban smiling and Marks and Spencers, and, you know, this is the, this is the new communist, you know, mm. communist state. And no, it isn't. But, you know, that is somebody who has struggled through to get a little bit of sort of money and a little bit of, of security in life and fears for it. And the right should be speaking to them in a, in a more friendly way than they do. Whereas at the moment, it's all just this, oh, attack Corbyn and, um, and, and pull maybe up... Maybe, pull that, up maybe, their, maybe that's just drawbridge. phase one of their response, I hope. Mm. But certainly as a Conservative well, supporter, that doing, they, they, they will look a little bit... They're at doing the... virtually nothing about the housing market problem. You know, and that is a huge problem. And that, that would make is, an enormous... The, the opportunity is enormous, is enormous. And nobody's showing the slightest sign of taking it. F- Phil, do you see any sign that the Tories realise that they may now have a decade in power and they should be planning to deal with some of those fundamental things like the housing crisis, the stagnation of wages, the technological impact on jobs? I think a lot of them realise the opportunity politically. Whether mm. they're going to then do anything about the substantive and really difficult issues, I don't mm. know. It does create space in which they can. If mm. they don't have genuine opposition and no real prospect of Labour mm. being in power for the foreseeable future, then these are the perfect conditions for doing hard things, such as the housing market, such mm. as welfare. So I would be hopeful that they would. I think lots of them understand the political opportunity. But the political opportunity is, is to do exactly those things for the less well-off, for the, yeah. the blue-collar conservatism, to cement the idea that Conservatives are, as they at the moment rather implausibly put it, the party of the working people. Because that could be, they could really uh, completely gather everybody in the centre of politics if and they the, were to and do the, that. And the cuts in tax credits that Parliament is discussing on Tuesday suggest perhaps they haven't. I think they haven't the, fully understood it. Because there is also the other temptation, isn't it, is to say, well, we can do what we like now. 
Mm. We can be exactly how we've always wanted to be. Yeah. And that I think that would be an error. I think yeah. that would lead to real civil unrest. Oliver, where's the opposition in Britain? You look at the Liberal Democrats down to mm -hmm. eight seats. Yes. Um, you look at UKIP, which was forcing the Conservative Party onto the back foot. You know, really only got that one seat in the general election. Labour are going to perhaps be very internally focused for a period. You, you raise exactly the, the pertinent question and it points to my, not just my despair, but my anger at the way that the Labour Party has conducted itself. I profoundly disagree with Libby's interpretation of what has happened as some exhilarating, uh, even, let alone positive development. Uh, what we've seen in the chaotic election procedures that Ed Miliband bequeathed the Labour Party is something that James Madison warned against in the Federalist Papers, the mischiefs of factions. Mm. That's what it is, not uh, democracy. Um, the biggest interest group in this country is of people who aren't particularly interested in mm. politics. And the, the, the virtue of representative democracy, of a constitutional republic, is to protect us yeah. from the people can't see the virtue of constitutional barriers, separation of powers. And uh, the Labour Party has, in effect, died and allowed itself to be taken over in, in a much more um, extreme way uh, than um, the major US political parties over the last generation have done, opening themselves up to primaries and becoming more and more extreme. Mm -hmm. Final word to you, Phil. Collins. I just want to echo something that both Oliver and Libby said. Oliver described what's happening in the Labour Party as an emotional spasm. Libby says it's a feeling, an exhilaration, and it is. That's exactly what is happening here. And we're going to hear a lot about authenticity. And I think authenticity is something in, it's very easy to have in politics when you're not seeking power mm -hmm. because you can say exactly what you think. If I was running for office, I, would I go out and say, first thing, I'm a Republican? Well, I have no consent in the public for that view. Therefore, it would be arrogant of me to simply to, to demand that everybody agrees with me. But if I didn't mind about being in power, I could simply say it and feel better about myself. The Labour Party is feeling better about itself. That's all it's doing. It's an emotional spasm. And the pertinent question is always, can your leader be Prime Minister? Can Jeremy Corbyn be Prime Minister? <laughs> <laughs> and for those who do not know, that is, again, Phil Collins' little noise machine that I think one of your children have given to you. Is that right? It yeah. is, but it is, I found it to be a very useful accompaniment to political commentary. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds to me like a typical capitalist device. <laughs> it's a neoliberal sound machine. <laughs> Phil Collins, Libby Purvis, Oliver Camp, thank you very much for joining me today. Um, we will be at the uh, Liberal Democrat conference next week in some form or other. Then it's Labour, then it's Conservative. So we've got a party conference season of specials for you. So I'm afraid there will be quite a lot of politics on this podcast for those of you who are less interested in politics over the next few weeks. Dave Maguire, um, thank you very much for putting this together and until next week, goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.